I had mentioned briefly that I was going to talk a little bit today about church structure and what that looks like. I'm going to try not to make it boring. Um, it's, I know you say, oh, great, they're going to talk about Ezekiel or something. You know, it's like, no, Zechariah, yes, but not Ezekiel. So, but no, we, we just want to, we're getting ready to install new leaders here at Mosaic. And it's important that you understand that there is a pattern and there is an order to how church is supposed to be run. And so that's why we're doing this. I've learned and seen over the years that Mosaic has kind of been a a church that folks have come to who have been wounded in other churches. That that really, you know, bothers me in the sense that I I just don't feel that, uh, well, of all the places that you're going to be hurt, there's another another number of places out there you're going to be hurt and sometimes harmed. The last place you would think that would be happening is in a church. And I believe that there's a reason for that. And I'm going to go into some of that a little bit today. But I'm just grateful that the Lord has provided an opportunity from day one that we wanted to be a place of healing. We wanted to be a place of hope for people who maybe had lost hope. And so that's why we do what we do each week. And so I hope today is no different than that. I I want to invite up. We are going to install elders next week. And we also are going to install deacons. And so I'm going to ask if the deacons that we're going to install and their wives would come on up here. We have Brian Stroud and Tom and Lisa and Brian and Denise. So if you guys would come on up here. Yeah. No booze. No, I, I, heard, I heard one, but it was your brother. So it's all right. But uh, anyway, um, we're, we're so excited. I, I just wanted to bring these guys up. You'll be, next week, we will be laying hands on them and installing them. But I just wanted you to put a kind of a face with the name as I talk about them a little bit. And this is Tom and Lisa. And this is Brian and Denise. And they are already serving. They are already deking. Um, they, they do a lot around here. Uh, with Canvas, uh, Tom and Lisa open their home all the time for the 20-something group and just help to oversee that and just involved in different things around the church. And this couple here, Brian, is our my life group leader, and Denise, and they, it is a tough job. It is a tough job, but uh, it's neat that they're leading our life group, and we just have more fun than we should on a Sunday night. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun. And, and we learn, and we open the word, and it's, it's just awesome. Denise runs a basket ministry that helps to bring baskets of all kinds of goods. Yeah, and, and that's amazing. So I won't ask you to speak or sing or do any or dance, anything like that. But uh, <laughs> but let's welcome these guys uh, to Mosaic. So, thanks, guys. And next week we will be installing them and Jeff and Cheryl, Jeff and Cheryl Nitz, John and Garvisa. They will be here next week, and we'll have an installation service. And then, like my wife said, we just want to celebrate afterwards and have a potluck and a cookout, or not a cookout, I have to be careful of my words, uh, a potluck here. And so just join us. We'll shorten the service so that we can have plenty of time, and it'll, it'll just be a great time. So, All right, church, structure, church and its structure. The Lord was very clear in his word about how he wishes his church to be organized and managed. It's not, 
rocket science. It's not a mystery. It's all in the book uh, of how the church is supposed to be organized. And when we follow the pattern and we follow how he wanted it done, we're healthy. But when we don't follow the pattern, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. So first and foremost, Christ is the head of the church. And he is, he is the church's supreme authority. Bottom line, turn to Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. There's Bibles laying around. Go on your phones. I'm going to be sharing several scriptures because it's so important that we understand this. Christ is the head of the church. He is her supreme authority. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Look at Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him, who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Turn to Colossians, a couple books over, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. It's just important that we understand that no pastor, no man, no woman is, in, is the head of the church. No bishop, no pope is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Bottom line, bottom line. As long as we keep him in his rightful place, as the head of and the supremacy of, and the authority of the church, we're okay. But we've got to keep Jesus in the forefront. So that's one of the, the first and the main structure of the church. Second, the local church is to be autonomous, meaning free from any state-run or government control. In other words, it has the right to self-govern itself. In communist countries, China, Russia, North Korea, they dictate what you can and cannot say publicly about Jesus and the Bible. We all know that. That's why so many independent churches in those countries are forced to go underground. And they're persecuted. And they're thrown in jail. And they're tortured. And that still happens in 2020 in our world. That those churches are not free to worship like we are in our country. When the church started in the book of Acts, the apostles went to various cities and towns sharing the gospel or the meaning good news about Jesus, and several people got saved. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Acts chapter 2. You hear us often say we want to be an Acts 2 church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Verse 42. This is the beginning of the church. We're still writing the story. We are also the book of Acts. But this is the beginning of the church. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, Jesus' teaching. And to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possession and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These new assemblies or churches didn't submit to Rome or have to answer to the Jewish leaders in order to meet. They just wanted to be together to learn, to love, to laugh, to live, and even to lament together. They just wanted to do life together, just like we do. If you are a born-again believer and you really enjoy coming together and having the fellowship of the saints, you miss it a couple of weeks or you miss it a week, you're like, man, I want to get back to church. I want to get back to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. You've heard me say I'm not real close to my family because of all the trauma and dysfunction in my biological family. But my spiritual family, my brothers and sisters in the Lord have been my family um, ever since the day I was saved, you know, almost 40 years ago. It's this, it, you are my family. And that can be said for a lot of you who grew up in homes and still to this day there's the angst and the tension between your siblings or your parents or your children. And, and that's hard. And that's so important, well, all the more so that we need each other in here. Our, we are brothers and sisters. We sh- share a common father, our daddy, our Abba Father in heaven. That makes us brothers and sisters. And it's so important that we just enjoy each other's company. They had, they had Jesus in common, and that was enough. They didn't have all the worldly distractions that we have today. They had distractions, but nothing like today. Nothing like today. So first, Jesus is supreme over the local church. Second, the local church is autonomous and has the right to self-govern itself. So important that you understand that. And thirdly, God knew that whenever you have groups of people coming together to self-govern themselves, there needs to be some form of authority or leadership in order for it to run smoothly. Otherwise, you have chaos. And so he knew that. We're human. And so he knew that in order for, for an organization a church, a congregation to function properly, there has, to be a, there has to be order. There has to be authority. There has to be systems in place. There has to be a way that we enter and we exit each other's lives. That, that, that is so vitally important. And so that's what we want to talk a little bit about. God established that the church is to be governed by spiritual leadership consisting of two main offices, the elder and the deacon. Bottom line, that's, that's what he established. Two main authority positions, the elder and the deacon. Elders were not only a New Testament position, they go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Okay, this isn't just something that came on the scene in the, in the book of Acts. On the screen, you'll see in Genesis 57, 50, uh, verse 7, so Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. I just want you to show you that it's not just a New Testament uh, position. Exodus 3.16, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me. In Exodus 12.21, Moses calls the elders together to communicate the Passover. 
and how that was to be run. In Exodus 24, a team of 70 elders had been selected as the governing body of Israel under the leadership of Moses. In Numbers 11, you see this. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I just want you to, to know that this is all the way through the Bible, talking about elders. Over time, the position of elder progressed from an informal position of leadership to a specific calling. The two elders that we are installing next week, Jeff Nitz and John Stroud, wouldn't do this if they didn't feel called to it. This isn't just something they say, well, I don't have enough to do. I think I'll be an elder at Mosaic. No, they, they, they feel called. Brian and Tom feel called to be deacons. The early Greek translation in the Old Testament, presbyteros, or elder. This is the same Greek word used in the New Testament that is also translated elder. The words overseer and bishop are also used interchangeably in the New Testament to describe an elder. So when you see those terms, overseer or bishop, in Scripture, that is also used interchangeably as the word elder. That's what it means. The New Testament refers a number of times to elders who served in the role of church leadership. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. I want to just show you how elders were right from the, when the church started. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them to each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had, in whom they had put their trust. Look at verse, chapter 16, verse 4. That was uh, 15, verse 23. I mean, sorry, 14, verse 23. 14, verse 23. And then Acts chapter 16, verse 4. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Look at chapter 20, verse 17 of, chapter, of Acts 20, 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. For the elders of the church. I just want you to see so that you know that there are several places. Don't turn there, but I'll read this. Paul was instructing Titus in the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then in James 5.14, it says, Is any one of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Elders, elders. I did this last Sunday in my office after church. I keep oil on my desk in my office so when people come up, and this person, I won't say who it was, was quite ill, and uh, said, Rick, would you anoint me with oil and pray over me? And I said, absolutely. It's an honor. That's one of our responsibilities as elders, is to pray over people. And so I anointed their forehead and prayed a prayer of faith over them and just asked God to heal them. So elders seen throughout the New Testament. It's also clear from these passages and more in the New Testament that each church had more than one elder. The word is usually found in the plural. 
Okay, so what are the qualifications and the responsibilities of an elder? Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. Responsibilities and qualifications of an elder. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer slash elder, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, that means polygamy, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's schemes. I'm really glad, and as it started out, this list of the responsibilities of an elder, that it starts with noble, another word for humility. You, there's no way that you can fulfill this calling as an elder if you're full of yourself. You just can't. And, and there's no way you, you just say, well, the church needs elders. Anybody want to sign up? That's not the way it's done, or there's no voting. I'll talk about that in a second. It is a calling of God. There is no way that you're going to make it as an elder or a deacon if you're not called to it. There's just too much that the enemy throws at leadership in a local church that if you're not called to it, if you don't have thick skin, you're not going to make it. You're just not going to. I've been doing this for almost 40 years, and it is a calling on my life to be an elder, to be a pastor. It is a calling. It's not just something I needed as a job. There's people that want to they get a job, they go online, they get ordained through an online website and say, okay, I'm now going to open up a church and a shopping center and I'm going to be a pastor. Good luck with that. There's no way you're going to make it. There's just too much. It has to be such a calling. And I remember almost 40 years ago in Las Vegas when God called me to be a pastor, to be a leader in the church. And it's like, it was, it was just like, yes, I was born for this. I get, I get to do this. I pinch myself to this very day and say, I've just had such a ride. I've, I, my life has just been amazing because I have been walking in my calling. And to this day at 63, I still really, really love what I do. Absolutely love what I do. And that's, that's a calling. It's one thing to be called. It's another thing to be anointed. It's another thing to be appointed. You know, it isn't just a calling and it's not just the appointment. Called, appointed, and the anointing. The Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's not the calling. It's not the appointment. It's not the title. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And I don't want to get outside of that. I just want to stay in God's anointing. And I know if there's sin in my life or there's something I've done to mess up, I'm running back because I do not want to lose God's anointing on my life. And that's, that's what we all feel, not just leadership. That's all of us. It's sin separates us from God. It's hard for the Holy Spirit to inhabit, to inhabit an unclean vessel. 
And so I say, stay blessable, stay cleaned up, stay repented, stay, you know, where you need to just say, Lord, forgive me. I don't care if you had a traffic light or where you are. It's like, man, I just blew it and keep short accounts with God and keep short accounts with others. And when you do that, that's how you're going to find out why you're here. What's the worst thing that could ever happen to us is that we don't know why we're here. That's why The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren is the book that has sold more copies than anything close to the Bible. The Purpose Driven Life. Why? Because people want to know their purpose. People want to know why they're here. You've got to find your sweet spot. You've got to find out why you're here. And that's not that hard to do. You don't have to, you know, be a monk and go live in a hill to find out why God has called you here. Maybe you're called to just be the most amazing mother. That God, that's, that, I just want to be a mommy. I just want to be the best mommy that I can be. What an incredible calling. What an incredible calling of God. To say, I don't have any aspirations for a career. I don't have any aspirations to do this. I don't want to climb that mountain. I, don't, I just want to be a mommy. Oh, man, what a high calling of God. What a high calling of God. And so find out why you're here and read that book, Purpose Driven Life, if you're, if you're struggling with you know, where you are and what you're supposed to be doing. So this is important that we stay humble because there's no way we're going to make it if we don't. In this section of scripture and in Acts, we see the responsibilities of an elder. Here are the responsibilities of an elder. They are able to preach and teach. 1 Timothy 3.2, we just saw that. Able to teach. Look at 5.17. 1 Timothy 5.17 says this. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. It's so important that we understand when you are allowing elders to lead you that they know their responsibilities and you know it as well. So able, able to teach. And we're so blessed. I've been in churches where, you know, different elders and some were better than others at teaching. We are blessed with three amazing teachers here when it comes to the elders of Mosaic. We are blessed. You are blessed to have three. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the three other people that are just being as elders. What an amazing group of men to teach you guys and to equip you. So that's important. He's to direct the affairs of the church. You saw that in, in verse three, verse, chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 Timothy. It says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? In other words, we are to manage the church well. Not just our own families, but so that we can manage the church well. The, to shepherd, pastor the flock. Turn back to chapter, into book of Acts. The book of Acts again, please. Acts chapter 20. We're going to be there for a second. Acts chapter 20. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own price. We are to shepherd and pastor the flock. And then it says at the end to guard the church from error. Another responsibility of the elder. Look at verse 29. I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Anybody ever been in, seen that happen? So be on your guard. 
Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night, night and day with tears. So it's so important that we understand the responsibilities of an elder. So Christ is the head of the church, number one. The position of authority in a church, first position is an elder. The next position of authority in the church is the deacon. How did deacons come about? Look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. How did we get deacons? Chapter 6, verse 1. This is the calling of the first deacons. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who you know, you know who are full, seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith, meaning that priests were obedient to the law. Now the law had been fulfilled through Jesus, and instead of just being appointed as priests because of your family lineage, now these priests were, say, were hearing the truth about Jesus, and they were accepting him. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It wasn't just an appointment. Now it was from their own heart. It wasn't because of their family name. So it's so important that you understand that here, here we have deacons that are being appointed in the church. The position of deacon from diaconus, meaning through the dirt. How does that sound? We want to sign up for that? was one of servant leadership to the church. Deacons assist the church in whatever is needed, which in turn allows the elders to stay focused on their duties. Bottom line. Deacons are separate from elders while having qualifications that are in many ways similar to those of an elder. Turn back to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. Let's talk about deacons. What are their qualifications? 1 Timothy 3. It says deacons. 1 Timothy 3, 8. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife, polygamy, and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus. That's, those are the qualifications for a deacon. As I was with Brian and Tom this week, we were talking about deaconship and showing in scripture a little bit. I wanted them to know that they're not just men that are going to be waiting tables. 
When you see the qualifications for a deacon, it's very similar to that of an elder. It isn't just that, well, the deacon, the elders eld and the deacons do everything else. No, I told them both because of even their experience and because of what they have gone through in life, I will be calling on them and so will the elder elders several times for their wisdom for their management skills, for what they've experienced in life. It isn't just that make sure you take out the trash. That's not why we're appointing deacons. We're appointing deacons because the church is growing and we need the help. And yes, their number one responsibility is to serve like ours is as elders. But I want I wanted these guys to make sure that they knew if I've got somebody up here that needs prayer, somebody that's in the church that needs something other than moving from this house to that house or whatever, please come. Hey, Brian, come here. I need you to pray. I need you to lay hands on this person and pray. Tom, come here. I need you to go to the hospital with me because right now the other elders are busy. I'm busy. I I can't make it. Can you run over and see, you know, Steve at the hospital? Can you go visit George Jones? Who's not doing well. He needs somebody to go over and visit him. So it's, it's so important that we understand that deacons aren't just get the leftovers. Deacons is a high calling a very high calling in the church. One of our main goals as elders and deacons is to also recognize and release the gifting that each of you have. That's one of our main responsibilities is to release the gifting that you folks have. You'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. Okay, where do pastors come in? As far as authority in the church, where are they? It's mentioned only once in the Bible. Turn back to Ephesians, if you would, Ephesians. Chapter 4, what is the role of the pastor? The Greek word poimen, translated pastor, is found only once in Scripture. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up in unity until we all re- built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ most associate the two terms pastors and teachers as referring to a single position he's a pastor teacher he's a pastor teacher that's how most people would interpret that It is likely that a pastor teacher was the spiritual shepherd of a particular local church that was planted in the New Testament. However, a pastor has the same authority as the other elders, no more and no less. A pastor is an elder, but an elder is not necessarily a pastor. My calling as an elder is as a pastor. That is is my calling. That isn't necessarily the calling of the other elders. They have other callings. A plurality of elders does not negate God's gifting, particular elders with the teaching gifts while gifting others with the gift of administration, prayer, counseling, wisdom, vision, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You have all of that in the four elders that'll be leading you at Mosaic. From Ron Miller, who has been here longer than anybody, probably too long. No, I'm just serious, seriously. (laughs) Praise God for Ron. Praise God for Ron. He was our first elder uh, at Mosaic. And I have been, it's been a blessed man uh, walking with this man for the last several years. 
And so Ron's gifting is different than John's gifting. That's different than Jeff's gifting. That's different than my gifting. Uh, I, am, I am called to be a pastor. Okay? And theirs is, is not the same that they don't have that calling, but they also have a slew of other gifts as well. All have the same authority, just different gifting. I am no more, I have no more authority than these men. None. None. And that has been blown so out of proportion today. The pastor role in the church has been, has just been so abused. That's why there's so much spiritual abuse and so many sheep hurt in churches today. It's because of this pastor role. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. The basic pattern found in the New Testament is that every church should have a plurality of godly male elders who are responsible for leading and teaching the church. That does not mean that a woman should not teach. We will be talking about that more in the near future here. That's an area that we need to make sure we talk about. And the church needs godly deacons and deaconesses who are responsible for facilitating the more physical, physical aspects of the church. We'll address female deacons as well when we address this at the same time. It's important that you know what we believe. It's important that you know what we believe is what the Bible says. Okay, we're not trying to make up things here. So we want you to understand when we say certain things here, uh, because we've all been taught different things. It took me years to wrap my head out of, around the fact of husband of one wife. I always thought that you couldn't be divorced. I, I was taught that, and it was wrong teaching. So I had to really go back and study that. And it's talking about polygamy, because that was rampant at the time that this was written. It's talking about polygamy. It's not talking about divorce. And I just had to, it took years to, to wrestle through that for me until I finally read what the Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic meant and what they were talking about. It was polygamy, the husband of one wife, because many of those church leaders had several wives, several wives. So it's so important that we understand. We're going to talk more about that. A plurality of elders protects the church from the weaknesses and possible excesses a single elder or pastor might bring. As long as this basic pattern is followed, the church is operating according to the biblical pattern. Having a sole pastor who controls the church is not the biblical pattern. It's just not. And neither is an arrangement in which a pastor works for the deacons who really run the church. We see that all the time. That's not, that's not even close to biblical. Not even close to biblical. The congregation is to follow the leading of the shepherds, elders, as they follow Christ. Bottom line. In their wisdom, the elders should be serving alongside and welcoming female input in all areas. In all areas. The elders should also request congregational approval for major decisions. But the, final, the congregation should not be the final authority. We are not a congregation-led church. That's not what we see in Scripture. That the congregation votes. You can vote out pastors. You can vote out because you don't like what he's, that he wears jeans every Sunday. <laughs> oh, I think he should get, put some you know, dress pants on. I don't like the way sometimes he says these crude words. Grandma, I know you haven't been to church in a lot of years, but we're, we're going to have a vote tonight. We're going to get rid of Rick. And just vote against I don't even know Rick. Just vote against him, Grandma. You're, you're on the membership roll. You know, just vote against him. I've had colleagues thrown out of churches for that. It's sad and it's sick and it's wrong. It's just wrong. That's not the way the church is run. 
you want to get rid of me, don't worry, you won't have to ask me. I'll know when my time here is up and stuff. So you won't have to ask me to leave. Nowhere in scripture is voting encouraged as a way for the congregation or elders or deacons to arrive at decisions. Nowhere in scripture is voting encouraged. And that's how we arrive at decisions. It's just not there. Christianity is not a democracy. It's not a democracy. Or should we reduce ourselves to the politicking that we find in the world? So he's like, wait a minute, Rick, democracy, isn't that a good thing? Yes, it's a good thing, but it's not the way the church is run. We don't vote. We don't vote because when you start voting, you all have seen what happens when you start voting. You're done. You're done as a church. We, we look for Aaron's rod to bud. We look and we pray and we fast and say, Lord, who should be elders of Mosaic? Who should be deacons of Mosaic? Who should run these ministries around here? We just go to the Lord and say, Lord, who's doing it? Who's already serving? And they don't even want to be recognized. They just have rolled up their sleeves and said, here, I'm not here to, to just consume. Rick, I'm here to contribute. I'm not here to just be served. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to critique your sermons every Sunday. I'm here to bring encouragement and maybe some suggestions that would make them better. That's, that's what people do in the church when they want to be a part of the solution and not just a bigger part of the problem is we just work together and we do it in love and we have teachable spirits. And that's what God calls us to do. But we don't vote. We don't vote. We don't get started, Rick. We just won't go there. <laughs> I just have, I just have seen so many good colleagues that are out of ministry and they should be in ministry. And I've seen several colleagues that are in ministry that should be selling cars. They have no business being in church ministry. The buck stops with the elders who pray and or fast over major decisions and who answer to Christ as the final authority in all matters. Bottom line, bottom line. What is the responsibility of you, the congregation, in relation to the elders and the deacons? The answer is found in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. What is your responsibility? Your responsibility as, as the congregation. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. In reference to the Bible, it's the elders. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 22, don't turn there, not to lay hands on any man quickly. That's a common mistake that a lot of churches make. They have maybe a pastor who has good friends in the church and say, you know, we're such good friends and you think like me. Um, let's go ahead. And I know we've only, you've only been here a year and I know that you're only 30, uh, but we're going to go ahead and make you an elder. That is such a common mistake that a lot of churches make. The Bible says laying hands on no man quickly. Lay hands on no man quickly. It took us years before we had Ron come on as an elder. Because I, as, as the founder of Mosaic, planter, planting Mosaic, I knew I had been in churches where they laid hands on men quickly. And the elders meetings were such a chore. I would go home from an elders meeting and go and my wife would go, are you all right? I said, no, just got out of one of those elders meetings. It was disgusting. We don't even like each other. We don't even like each other. And it wasn't me that started the church, but I was asked to be an elder in the church. 
Oh my goodness. We had 14 different visions. We were all over the place and we didn't even like each other. We loved each other so much for that, but we just didn't want to be around each other. And so it's so important, but, but there was a laying on of hands too quickly. Oh, you look like, you know, you're some, no, no, no. So that it also says not to appoint a novice. Another mistake that a lot of churches make. Someone, someone full of wisdom, someone who's got some life experience. How much wisdom and experience do you have at 25? Not a whole lot. I'm not downing because let no one look despise you because of your youth. And I, I'm, I'm, a big pers- I'm big on that. But when, and sometimes people have wisdom beyond their years. I understand and have seen that. But when you start el- ordaining 25-year-old elders, you're already setting yourself up for a failure. You're already setting yourself up for a failure. It needs to be someone who is seasoned, someone who can manage his own family, someone who understands to have a little bit thicker skin because you're going to take, you're going to be pulverized as a leader. And it's important that you understand that you're not going to know it's going to ruin. Some people appoint leaders before their time and they, and they ruin them. They ruin them. It's like, it's like taking a racehorse and running him. He's a one mile track and you run him two miles. You say, but he can do two miles, but you've just ruined that racehorse. And it's so important that we don't appoint leaders before their time. I'm saying all this so that you know that the men you are being asked to follow collectively have over 200 years experience in following Christ. The six of us have over 200 years experience of following Jesus. Not all as elders, but of following Jesus. There's a lot of things that we've seen in the church. We're not trying to be haughty or pride and say we have all the answers. We don't. But we do between the six of us. We'll find the answer. We'll find the answer. Experience is a good value to have. We want to use that experience and wisdom to love you well and to lead you well. That's our goal. All right, what happens, let me try to bring it home here. What happens if you disagree with one of the elders or deacons? What should you do if you disagree with them? Here's some suggestions I came up with that I thought you could do if you disagree. You could tell as many people as you can how you feel, and it's best to do it in the parking lot or the church bathroom. That'd be good. Uh, go on social media and share your concerns publicly before going to the leader. Uh, send out a prayer request for your pastor to see the light and change his ways. <laughs> Frown or turn away from him during the sermon. That always works. Stop tithing, serving, or even attending the church. Just leave without telling anyone. You could do these things if you disagree with one of the elders. I've seen all of them in 40 years. Okay? Not good. So Facebook, not good. Not good. Uh, so that's not the way we would have you handle it. There is a right way to handle it if you have a disagreement with one of the leaders of the church. The biblical thing to do is if you disagree or have a problem with an elder, deacon, or pastor, is to do the same thing you do with anyone else in the body. Number one, you pray and ask the Lord to check your own heart. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. You pray and ask the Lord first and foremost to check your own heart. This is if you have a disagreement. You've got some real angst against one of the elders or deacons in our church. Matthew chapter 7. Number one, thing you, first thing you do is you check your own heart. Verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Guys, before you do anything, basically check your own heart. Check your own heart. That's all it's saying. You're, you're going to find things. We're, we're, we have feet of clay. You're going to find things in all six of us that there's just not going to be your cup of tea. Okay, so you have to ask yourself, is this, is this an essential? Is this just a preference of mine? How much does this bother me? Am I offended by this? Well, Proverbs 19.11 says this, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. What this means is to have, a, have good self-control over your own emotions. Have good self-control over your own emotions. I usually tell people when they come to me and they have a complaint about Ron, I usually tell them, I'm, te- I'm teasing, I'm just teasing. I, I got to pick on Ron today. When, uh, I'll just say, you know, can I ask you something? Go ahead and sleep on it. Go ahead and sleep on it. I, I heard you. Um, thank you for sharing your heart. Uh, go ahead and sleep on it. If they, they come to me and they have a problem with me, just can you give it 24 hours? Somebody will call me, Rick, Rick, you got to Wait, no, stop. Tell you what. Just go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask you to sleep on it for 24 hours and then come back to me and then let's talk. It is, a, it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Have some self-control. Go back to daddy and say, Abba, what should I do here? What should I do here? One of our 10 values, that's number one. Check your own heart. Number two, one of our 10 values is that Mosaic is to hold things loosely and maintain a thick skin. This is, we have 10 values at Mosaic there on the website. Number five says this, hold things loosely and maintain a thick skin and thin pride. Determine what principles and values need to be protected and which ones are merely your preferences. For the sake of the group's progress, don't become easily offended if things aren't going the way you wanted. Choose your battles wisely and agree to disagree agreeably. That's one of our values at Mosaic. It's one thing to have a great mission. It's another thing to have a great vision. You live by your values. You live by your values. We have 10 of them. That's one of them. So number two, you, you have to ask yourself, why am I getting bent out of shape? Do I need to have a little bit thicker skin? Do I need to have a little less? Why does this bother me so? Is this a father wound, a mother wound? Is this a past pastor wound? What's going on with me? Why does this bother me so? It doesn't seem to bother everybody else. Why is it bothering me? Check your own heart. Figure out what's going on in your heart. And then number three, after you've done steps one and two, then you go to that person one-on-one and walk out one of our other values, which is this, number one, help me understand before being understood. Before jumping to conclusions, judging, or taking another person's word for something, go directly to the source of the original statement or information. Ask them, help me understand why you said or did so-and-so. Help me understand. You know that Rick last week when you said that in the, in the service, in the sermon? Whew, that really bothered me. Can we talk this week? Can I buy you car, uh, Starbucks coffee mocha? Can I buy you? Absolutely. C- could, could we talk? Could we talk? Absolutely. You honor the other person and avoid miscommunication or hearsay. Help me understand. Help me understand, Rick, why the church is doing this. Help me understand why this. Help me understand why that. Guys, come to us. So you do step one, pray about it, check your own heart. Step two, 
it evaluate whether or not you're, this is just a preference. It's not, you know, I don't I need to have a dog in this fight. Number three, after you've done steps one and two, you go to that person one-on-one. Step four, if you do steps one, two, and three, and you're still not satisfied, then you need to ask yourself a very important question. Is the beef I'm having with my pastor, elder, or deacon sin on his part? Is it sin on his part? Or merely a character flaw that he, that just, that he does that just rubs me the wrong way? Is it a sin or is it a character flaw? If it is sin, you follow through in the next step found in Matthew 18. Turn to Matthew 18. Again, I, I'm taking just a quick minute to, un, to unpack this so that you understand the order and the pattern of the church. We, our number one priority at Mosaic is to be a healthy community of believers, a healthy community of believers. It takes a lot of work to keep us healthy. It takes a lot of work, but I am so committed to it. I hate gossip. I hate tailbearing. I hate backbiting. I hate that stuff with a passion because it's the cancer of the church. And we will do whatever we, we are called to do as leaders to make sure that we have a healthy, the local church is the hope of the world when the local church is operating the way it should operate. Bottom line, bottom line. And so it's so important that we are healthy. And so if you need to go to that brother or sister, you do it if it's sin. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of two or three witnesses. So you go to them one-on-one. You didn't get the result you wanted. You take a couple other people with you. We'll help you, guide you through that process. If it is sin on his part, and number one, he won't admit it, and number two, you have gone to other elders or deacons and they won't confront him. If it's sin, you know it's sin. Others know it's sin. You've gone to him. He won't admit it. He won't humble himself. Then you go to another elder or deacon and they're like, ah, I think you're seeing that the wrong way. You do, you do this next step. You get, that, you get out of that church as quickly as you can. You leave that church as quickly as you can. Because that church is a personality driven church run by yes men. And that's what that church is. You will never stand a chance in that church. Ever. Because if it's sin, we have to call sin, sin. And you know it's sin. They know it's sin. The elders and the other deacons you went to to go confront him know it's sin. But if they excuse it and put it under the rug, start looking for another church. Because it is not going to change. It is not going to change. You can pray. You can fast. You seek counsel. You do whatever. Don't quickly flee. Fight. But be careful that you don't freeze in this church, and you know that you shouldn't be there because there's sin in the camp. And whenever there's sin in the camp, there's no way that church is going to be blessed. There's no way. So if it's not sin on his part, but he has a character flaw that is either blind to or refuses to change, and you're having trouble respecting or following him, like we just said in Hebrews 13, or you have trouble praying for him, then you should also be, it'd be better to count your losses and find another church. Guys, if you're coming to church and I or somebody else rub you the wrong way every week and you have just, you haven't even had trouble praying for us. You, you sit here and you just are looking for all the problems. You're sitting here and you're like, that really bothers me. And you're finding yourself saying that every week. Guys, why are you here? Why are you here? Your family's not going to be blessed. You're not going to be, again, it's not sin. It's just, 
I just wish Rick would change this. And you can come to me and say, you know, Rick, when you say this, ooh, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I will take that into consideration. Absolutely. Because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. So if I need to tone down my rhetoric or I need to say something not as crude sometimes, or absolutely. Absolutely. Come and talk to me. I, have, I, I want to maintain a teachable spirit. Okay, that's the worst thing I could do is get a stiff neck and hardened heart. I want to maintain a teachable spirit. Somebody comes to me and says, Rick, Rick, we need more hymns in the church. Okay. Rick, somebody else next, you know, I go over here to pray. Rick, we need more contemporary Bethel music in the church. Okay. Is that a problem that's ever going to be solved in the church? No. But you know what that is? That's a tension to be managed. That's how I look at life. Is this a tension to be managed or a problem to be solved? If you come to me and you want more hymns and this person wants more Bethel music, that's never going to be solved. But what we will do the best we can as elders to manage that tension. Hey, Carlton, throw in a couple more hymns. Hey, Carlton, throw in a couple more Bethel songs. Let's try to, let's try to find a balance here. Someone comes to me and say, Rick, I don't, I don't know, but I was in the parking lot and somebody was gossiping about you. Is that a problem or is that a tension? That's a problem. That's a problem. And that needs to be solved because one of our values is no parking lot conversations. No sidebar conversations. And so we need to handle that problem because gossip is sin. And we don't want sin. We don't want sin. Better to talk to your face and my face instead of behind my back. And don't be two-faced. Just say it. We, we can take it. We've been doing this a long time. There's something you don't like around here. Come and talk to us. Don't talk to one another. Small minds talk about others. Big minds talk about ideas and vision and future. Small minds talk about other people. Don't talk about other people behind their back. Please don't do that. All right, let me close. I'm surprised, really, I am. Um, after how many years of doing this, how many sheep stay under a controlling or a manipulative pastor as long as they do? It really, I, I just, they should have left years ago. Not this church. But the church that they came, like I told you, we have a lot of people that come here that are hurting from other churches. I really am surprised how long they stay. How long they stay. You knew from day one there was sin in the camp. You knew there was something wrong. Your spirit was just jumping all over the place every time you walked through the door. You didn't have the peace when you walked through the door. You knew something was not right. You stay, you stay, but you know, unfortunately, you're going to get emotional, emotionally harmed. It's called spiritual abuse. You've got to be very careful. I'm seeing it more and more today. Before you make any decisions, seek godly counsel. Don't just, don't, there's a wisdom and safety in a multitude of counsel. Seek counsel. You as a congregation have one more major responsibility, to dwell in unity and live at peace with one another. This is your responsibility. We have our responsibilities, we're saying to you. Now you have a responsibility to dwell in unity and live at peace with one another. The New Testament is full of it. You're instructed to love one another. You're instructed to live at peace and harmony with one another. You're instructed to settle our differences among ourselves. You're instructed to be patient, kind, and tender-hearted toward one another. You're instructed to consider others before yourself. You're instructed to bear one another's burdens. That's your responsibility as a congregation. And I could, get, I could lift 40 more. This is what your responsibility is. Living in, in unity and peace and loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is the ultimate goal for the church. We, we have to dwell in unity and live at peace with one another. That is huge, huge. When we say we want to be a church that live, is known by love, that vision leaks. 
Vision leaks, and we have to keep that hot in front of you. We say this all the time, is that Mosaic is a church that lives by faith, is known by love, and is a voice of hope. We say that over and over and over, because vision leaks. And if we don't keep that in front of you, like this morning when I said, hey, and oh, by the way, yes, we have the best hot chocolate in town. Yes, we have the best coffee in town. But that's not just what this break is for. This break is to do the walk across the room. It's to say hello to one another. The break is intentional at Mosaic. We don't just do this because we are starving some of us for a cup of coffee when we get here. That's not it. The point is, we, we, we see this as we have no foyer. We have no way to wear a fellowship hall. We, we can't. So how can we do it? This is what we came up with. Let's do a break after worship. People think we're nuts. They're like, they go, you go home and they do a coffee break right after worship. No, they don't. Yeah, they actually do. They do a coffee break right after worship. What? Who does a coffee break right after worship? Mosaic does a coffee break right after worship. For the purpose of what? Drinking coffee and hot chocolate and sucking on that whipped cream that's freshly made? No, that's not it. It's two, I just offended probably three people, that no, it's because we want you to do the walk across the room to say hello and to love one another and dwell together in unity. Living in unity and peace and loving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is so important. Why? Because our witness for Jesus will be seen in the way we treat and love one another. People won't listen to us if they don't see Christ in us. People won't listen to us if they don't see Christ in us. I was recently at lunch with a young person. This young person loves Jesus, but they also have are struggling with same-sex attraction. And as we were sitting there talking about all this and just have, enjoying ourselves at lunch, I just got up to leave the table. We were just finishing lunch. This person said to me, Rick, we really love Jesus, but because of the way we're usually treated, it's the damn church we can't stand. It was as if they had slapped me as hard as they could across the face. It was a reminder to me. I could not shake that. We were walking out, and that's what this, the last thing this person said to me. And they said, Rick, don't worry, it's not Mosaic. We love Mosaic. That's why we come here. It's not Mosaic. But my friends wouldn't dare, a lot of them won't even dare step into a church because of how they've been hated by Christians. And that just hurt my heart. It stayed with me for days. It was God's appointment right there for this person to say this to me. It was a good reminder to me that if we are going to be a church that is known by love, does that mean we just love people who think and act like we do? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. We are called to love, period. We are called to love all people, period. You saw this skit this morning. We are called to go and to lend a hand. We are called to not turn our back. We are called to go toward those who are hurting those who may be confused, those who may need some help, those who may, all people. We don't walk by the people that are down and out. We don't walk by those people who are struggling with any, any number of things. We run toward them and we extend a hand of love because people won't listen to us or our doctrine or what we believe in if they don't see Jesus in us. And they don't see us when they walk in here, a church that has this plastered over the wall. You guys, how dare you put that up there if you're not willing to live it? We put it up there because we're doing everything we can every week to live it. And we want one thing to be said whenever someone leaves here. Wow, that church was really loving. 
Tell you what, I think I had five people say hello to me. That church is like, whew, guys, that's, that's who we want to be. It's a church that is known by love, known by love for all people, all people. And we don't want to just be a click and have the grew the mosaic click. And it's all people that look and sound alike. We want to be a mosaic, multi-generational, multi-racial, multicultural. That's, that's what we want here is to be a true mosaic, not just this church like every other church. That's not who we want to be. That's not who we want to be. So just wanted, just wanted to share that. In closing, I also want you to know that I couldn't be more encouraged than I am right now about our church in the future and what the future holds for Mosaic. I am so encouraged. My wife and I, Chuck and Joe, a couple others started this church 14 years ago, planted it in the corner of this plaza. Albert Jennings, I see Albert here this morning. So exciting. I'll get too excited if I start talking about Albert and his wife, Hope. Uh, They're flying, flew in here just to spend some time with us tomorrow morning because God's stirring the waters and God's doing some things in them. They were with us as well when we started here. And it's just blessed my heart. I was in the booth and I saw him walk in. I go, oh God, what are you doing here at Mosaic? What are you doing? What are you doing? And so I am so excited. I am so excited. God is raising up authentic leaders and authentic saints in this congregation. People who don't want to just play church, but want to be a vibrant remnant of the bride that Jesus is coming back for. We will be stretched. We will be tested and we will be challenged in the coming months and years. Trust me. God is preparing us for that right now in this new season that we're entering. Will it be for everyone? No, it won't. It won't. As much as it hurts, it is true that sometimes it's best to part ways in recognition that God has different calls in our lives. Bottom line. Bottom line. There there are times when people will depart. Whenever that happens, we just need to do our best and be committed to end well. That brings great honor to Jesus. When we end well, there should be no reason that someone would just walk out of here without talking, without sharing their hearts with us. You've seen us. This meant a lot to me. Jeff didn't realize how much it meant to me, but we were having a breakfast a month ago and he said, I just want to say something to you, Rick. He said, Cheryl and I have never been in a church that, and this was a time where, you know, couples were leaving Mosaic for different reasons, ministry and other things. So we've never been in a church where you just do that so well. He said, it would be easy just to say, you know, okay, they're gone. Let's not even bring them up and pray over them. That's not how we do things. He said, just keep up doing that. When someone has, feels like God is calling them out or they need to go to another church for whatever reason, just let's celebrate and let's bring them up and let's pray over them. And we're committed to that. We should end well. We should end well. Even if we disagree with each other, let's end well. Let's not take our parting shots. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for that. So we do it, and we do it the best we can, and we want to end well. This city is full of fractured churches that started or closed because of a split. This city is full. There should not be as many churches in Lynchburg as there is. There just shouldn't. A city of 80,000, we've got over 300 churches. What are you talking? Is that to the glory of God? It is not to the glory of God. It is not. Okay, that's not a good thing. I blame most of that on poor leadership and churches that were never established according to the biblical pattern that you just learned about. That's why they split. That's why they split.
They never were established the way they needed to be established. So I just want to encourage all of us, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get ready to, to be the church that God wants us to be. Let's get ready to just continue to love each other. Let's get ready to just see what God has in store for us. There's so many things right now happening around here. And you know, we're, you'll hear about all of them because we want your input. We're going to share things with you, but there's a lot of cool things that are happening right here. There's missionaries today that are ministering all over the world because of you people in this small corner of the plaza, in Guatemala, in Africa, in Nepal, in, in Kyrgyzstan, and all over the world people because of you. There's people going to, like this group this morning and they're going to be blessed because of you. And, and we, we could sell coffee and you buy a bag of coffee for $25. Who does that? Okay. You do that. You do that because it was a great cause. It was a great cause. And they were blessed. They were, they said, Rick, we can't believe that you sold that coffee. And that the people of Mosaic, please, please thank Mosaic. You'll see a video from them in the next two weeks thanking you personally. But say, please tell Mosaic, we are so grateful. Our ministry can do more because they bought that coffee. Guys, you're awesome. You're awesome. All of you. I love you. We love you. Next week, we'll celebrate together with a potluck. We'll install deacons and elders. It's a great time to be alive at Mosaic. It really is. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for this day. Bless these dear saints. Oh, bless them, Lord. Give them a great day. Watch over their hearts. Whatever they touch, Lord, I pray that you would bless. Lord, just this week, help us to be ready in season and out of season to just give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Help us, Lord, to learn how to love well. Keep short accounts with you and with each other. Let's invite people to this church that need a church that just will love on them. Lord, that's what we want to be. So bless these people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.